read and preach for you out of Acts chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized, and in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them. And they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about twelve men in all. And he entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of Christ. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we've come here today to proclaim your name, to petition in the name of your Son, and to dwell upon your word. But Father, we have just been reminded that we need your Son's work to be manifested and filled in us by your Holy Spirit. So we pray now in the name of Jesus for the power of Jesus to be manifested this day as we dwell upon your word and chew on your word and hopefully proclaim and prophesy your word to this world and to each other. We ask that you would fill us now with the Holy Spirit to do this, to understand this and to live this. According to Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, last week we saw um, in the narrative a lot of details, and uh, I was talking to Marus just a moment ago, and there wasn't a lot to even really just preach from, and I usually I took that as an opportunity to make it a, a more of a, a topical sermon by using some components of the narrative, even though I noticed in some commentaries that they don't really deal with the last passage that I did because it was seemed like a lot of just particular specifics of where they were going and what they were doing and some people there. I obviously saw that there was enough there. It was one of the longer sermons that I've had in the past couple of months. And so you can see that even when there's not a lot of substance, I'll go long. But in this situation, we'll see that it's hopefully not going to be too terribly the same length because I know we have a lot of things to accomplish today. But there is something here that really highlights, and it's obvious to us from 
from just reading through it that the Holy Spirit is, again, the primary focus, which I've said and, and preached in the past that that is one of the most significant components of the book of Acts is the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit for the people of God. And, and that's what we see acting throughout. It's the acts of God ultimately in his people by the way of the fulfillment of the promise of the Holy Spirit. But here we refocus again on what is going on with the Holy Spirit. And we have this very interesting narrative of where there are those who believe, but they are not those who have yet received the Holy Spirit, and they haven't been baptized in the name of Jesus. So just to recap, so Apollos was there in Ephesus, and if you remember in the last chapter, he was there, and then he he was sent on and and moving along, and then Paul comes back. Paul kind of came through quickly when he dropped off Priscilla and Aquila, and now he is back there in Ephesus, and he finds these disciples, and it says that there were about 12, and that's a significant thing to consider because it's almost a refresh for us to think about the very nature of what's going on in the book of Acts, the very nature of Pentecost and what's occurring in this very extraordinary narrative of what God is doing in the church. So if you remember, and some of you may have not been here in the earlier parts of going through Acts, that there's two things to, to primarily look at when we go through the book of Acts, is that there is something very extraordinary about Acts and how God administers the Holy Spirit, establishes the church, and there are very extraordinary gifts given, very extraordinary signs given, because he's making a very extraordinary point. But we also learn from that very ordinary characteristics of how we should be living as a church, what the church should look like, how we should associate as a church, how the church is powered, what's the purpose of the church. And so there, it's kind of difficult because you look at the, the church history that sometimes people want to look at the extraordinary and they kind of dwell there. And they're very excited about the very amazing things that were happening in the extraordinary that God used as signs for us to understand what he has been doing and fulfilling. And unfortunately, it's almost that, that extraordinary, even though that was a point to get our attention, some people are so distracted by it that they kind of forget about the ordinary callings of the church. And so it's always important for us when we're going through the narrative to look for things that could be extraordinary elements and things that are about fulfillment and establishment and then carry with it the things that are ordinary for us that we are to be living in and continuing in. And I think we have those things here in very um, uh, highlighted ways for us to learn today. So we see here that Paul is passing through the inland. He's in Ephesus, and then he comes to these disciples, and he says something very simple. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? It's a, I love how Luke has put this in here for us because we've had a lot going on in the last couple of narratives. And it, not that the Holy Spirit's ever been absent, but it's, it's a kind of a regrouping again. Like, okay, the Holy Spirit. Let's think about the Holy Spirit. So we have these disciples in Ephesus, and they do not yet have the Holy Spirit. And they said no. And I love, I love how they answer this. Such an honest answer. Like, no. 
we don't even know about the what we didn't even know there is a holy spirit <laughs> i mean i love uh, that sounds like how i would answer a lot of questions when you know at my new job people come in and they'll say so did you um did you replace the duck sensor in the land room and i'm like no I don't know what a duck sensor in the land is. <laughs> you know, it's like, so someone's going to have to teach me what the duck sensor does and, and what, why does it need to be replaced and why, did, you know, why hasn't this been taught to me before already? So it, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like starting from scratch for these folks. And in a sense, maybe they should not have come from scratch because the Holy Spirit is taught and present throughout the Old, Old Testament scriptures. And so these were disciples. They were students. But like us, we were, they were very rusty in the whole understanding of the Holy Spirit. So I, I love how this is a good refresher for us. And so I thought for my question today, I'd ask a really simple question and just speak whatever's on top of your mind. Don't try not to make it, you know, like, what does he really want? You know, just what's on your mind? What, who is the Holy Spirit? What is the Holy Spirit? Or better yet, what is the Holy Spirit's job? What does the Holy Spirit do? How would you, you know, if these guys were standing there with you and you were kind of quietly over in the corner and one of them leaned over and was like, what's the Holy Spirit? (laughs) How would you answer in a very, very brief and quick way without trying to sound like, I mean, you can, if you have confessional terminology, that's fine. We'll be impressed, and it would be helpful to us. Uh, but how would you answer that question to someone who would lean over to you and ask that question? Um, now, none of you are not thinking, I didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. <laughs> Hopefully not, you're not at that level still. Maybe you are, and that's fine. We can, you know, obviously. Sarah just said it's something, is our help All right, good. He's a helper, and he helps with communication. Good. Conviction of sin. Very good. It's it's what purifies us and separates us from our past selves, I guess. It makes the active work of Christ in us. It's so the application of all the things that we see that Jesus has done. Sophia? Third part of the Trinity. Right, the third person of the Trinity. Very good. Nor says it's the one that replaces the duck sensor. He's the one that replaces the duck sensor. Well, good, I don't have to worry about it. Anyone else? Okay. He raised his hand. He gets the he gets the answer because he raises. Small voices says, "Don't go down that road. There's a lion down that road." Right. That's like, that he he guides us and directs us. Very good. The paraclete. That's right. That's actually what the word help for help helper comes from. Um, when you read about. Um, the helper, it's usually the translation of the Greek word paraclete, and then it's nice to be able to break down, and I will in just a minute, so thank you for bringing that up. I don't know if y'all, some of y'all remember the New City Catechism that we did for a while there. We went through it for a whole year, and we were trying to get it to be a, more of a part of our 
regular discipleship, and maybe we could still try to re- redo that sometime. But the, the New City Catechism says, how does the Spirit help us? And I appreciate that the, the first thing that was mentioned was this, the word and terminology of helper, and I love how it ended with the word paraclete because it's where the word helper comes from. But So how does the Holy Spirit help us? And the New City Catechism teaches us that the Holy Spirit convicts us of our sin, that was one that we heard, comforts us, guides us, gives us spiritual gifts, you know, applies those gifts of what Christ has accomplished into us, and the desire to obey God. And he enables us to pray and to understand God's word. And I love that answer. It's, it's a, a nice, it's, it seems really, it's a really long answer, but it's a fairly concise answer, and it's a very biblical answer. And I could, you know, many of you, I think everything that was mentioned there, other than maybe the duck sensor, <laughs> was in that. I mean, maybe we could talk about it. Maybe you can go with the New City Catechism people and see if we apply that in there. Um, but it is covered in there, and you can go and find passages, and we will go through some of those passages today. And I think it's important for us, as we go through the narrative, to stop and be with those folks. And if we feel like that we are fairly confident enough to be able to explain to those who believe there, these 12 disciples, then we want to put, how would we answer that question? But for some of us, we just need to be refreshed, almost as if we need to go back to the basic and say, yeah, what, what is going on with the Holy Spirit? And I think that's extremely important for us to go back and to root ourselves into the Scripture as we think about what's going on. And it's nice to have these continual refreshers throughout Acts, because I hear a lot of people talking about the Spirit. And a lot of times I wonder if, from what they're saying, if it's even biblically rooted in what they're talking about. We just went to a, a, a Christian music festival yesterday, and there was a lot of talk going on. There's a lot of music, and there's you know, a lot of lyrics. And um, if it wasn't for the heat, I'd been a little bit more on top of what was all being said. I, I would just... I actually sent Jennifer a quote from Jonah saying that I, I think I'm going to die. <laughs> I wasn't as angry enough to die, but it was really, really hot. I told them they need to be preaching hell right now. This would be opportune time. But I heard some terminology about the Spirit here and there, and I thought, doesn't seem like that's really rooted in the Bible. Not, you know, and then you have some of those kind of gray areas, and then you have some that are right on the Scripture. So it's important for us. Um, even those who are in the pulpit, especially for those in the pulpit, to be rooted in the scripture and understanding who is this helper, who is this Holy Spirit. And here in this particular narrative, we have the extraordinary fulfillment of what God had promised about the Holy Spirit to these who are in Ephesus. And what kind of people would these disciples likely be in their ethnic city? What's that? Who, what kind of people were these? I'm hearing whispering. I can't hear what you're saying. They, they weren't. Well, there was. There were some Greeks and Jews there, but more than likely, from what I've read, most of these are probably more Gentiles. And it, there are some Jews. We do learn there's Jews, but in the very end of that passage, also. But it's likely that from what's going on here, that at least from what I've read, that most people believe that these were primarily Gentiles. You have about four different stages of Acts so far, where there are these unique um, expressions of the Holy Spirit. Starting with Pentecost, but then we also have um, the, the when we have the the administration of the Spirit with 
the um, those around Cornelius's time, my mind went blank for a second, and then we also have the Samaritans, and then now here are those in Ephesus, and we see that it's covering the full bases of the promises. We have the Jews there at Pentecost, and now it's reaching out, and we're now going out into the fullness of Asia. We now see the Holy Spirit being more rooted into that fulfillment that had been promised to us in the beginning. But what is it going, what's going on here in this distinction between John the Baptist and his baptism and Jesus's? And what Paul is saying here is that, yes, what John was preaching on and what he was baptiz- baptizing in was for the repentance of sin, but it was for the one who was to come. It was in preparation. So when John was baptizing, it was for the preparation of the Messiah. But we're on this side of the coming of the Messiah. We're no longer in this phase of fulfillment. So now there's one that you can be baptized in that John speaks of and says that is coming. And it's good for us to go back and think about that time when John was preaching this. And the best place to do this concisely and quickly is in the book of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, if you would turn over real quickly to Mark chapter 1. I'm going to kind of just go through this real quickly. It's great with Mark because he just summarizes things. You go to Matthew, it's a little bit more drawn out and has different focuses. But here we see very quickly he begins with John the Baptist preparing the way. It says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it was written in in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I. The strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And he came up out of the water and immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And the voice came from heaven says, you are my beloved son, and with you I am well pleased. What's unique about this particular situation in light of what Sophia's answer was at the baptism of Jesus? We see all three parts of the Godhead. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost here in that point. It's just good to kind of highlight that. That's one of the first places where we see all that being concisely put together. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So the Spirit descended upon him, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. So we see that the Spirit not only moved him, but the Spirit was also with him, equipped him, and prepared him during this time. Then in verse 14 it says, Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. And believe in the gospel. 
So we go from John preaching repent and talking about the kingdom of God. And now we see that through this work and the Spirit's work, and even in Jesus, that now we have the fulfillment of what John's work was doing has now been established. And Jesus is using the same terminology, but he's now saying repent and believe in the gospel. So we still have, and that's where you see the the gospel for us now, is to repent, to believe in the gospel for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we see in the narrative in Acts today, where right after this transaction happens in this communication and this administration of the Holy Spirit with these disciples, the thing that Paul is preaching about and teaching about is the kingdom of God. And so this is reflected with the fulfillment of what John the Baptist was preaching, centering in on what Jesus accomplished and what he is preaching about the gospel. And then it's also a reflection of what's going on in Acts 2, in the beginning of Acts, with Pentecost. And so we see here that Paul is wanting to wrap all this up for them and is presenting to them that they are kind of behind in their schedule, (laughs) that we're already past that phase, and it's time for you to be baptized in the name of Jesus, in the actual gospel, because you're already at this particular stage. So that's what's going on here, is that there are just basically these folks who are still at this repent in a, a, a kind of a shrouded um, shadow of understanding of the kingdom, in a shadow of what the gospel is, and Paul is there to preach the fulfillment of the gospel and the fulfillment of what Peter was preaching in Acts chapter 2. It starts to wrap it all together, including what Jesus preaches to us in the Great Commission. And so there's a lot going on in this little dialogue here about what's going on with the baptism. And they receive that baptism. They are now baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. If you go back to the Great Commission, we, are, we see that Jesus called his disciples to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. That this is something that was supposed to happen. That they're not supposed to be just stopped at repentance and looking forward to the Messiah. That they must, to fulfill and to further and to truly grasp onto the gospel... It must be in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they received the Spirit. That promise that is promised in Acts chapter 2 was being manifested, and I believe in an extraordinary way, so that we may see this fulfillment take place. And they began to prophesy. So on the extraordinary end, we see that there is this fulfillment of the things that were declared. And it's it's to be highlighted. This is supposed to be like... The thing that's been promised is now occurring here in Ephesus. But for us, in application, we should understand in going back and looking at what Peter said in Acts chapter 2, that if we are those who believe, if we are those who repent, if we are those who follow after Jesus, and we take on his mark in obedience, we should with anticipation... Understand that the Holy Spirit is a gift promised to us. So it's a really important thing for us to know what the Holy Spirit is and what He's doing. 
and to look for it, to understand what benefit this is. This is the most significant benefit in addition to salvation, which is really a part. It's all, you can't really separate salvation and reconciliation with God. You can't really separate that from the Spirit. But to take a moment to think about this tremendous benefit that we have with the Holy Spirit. I know I keep using references about work because that's what I do that all day long. But, you know, I mean, and it's a new job. But, you know, I have not worked for a corporation in, or any company that's quite as large as this one. And it came with a lot of benefits. And it's, it's really cool, that, I mean, to have all these benefits. And so I, I spent, I have probably have put in, at least clocked in 40 or 80 hours of just reading about all the benefits. You know, and I was like, how can I get the best? <laughs> you know, how can I stretch this out to the fullest? Like, what's going on here, and how can I do that? And we have. We, we quickly signed up for all the medical and health benefits and, you know, the insurance benefits and all kinds of things. And I studied it, and I tried to figure out what was going to be the, the best way. For us who are disciples of the gospel, it is so essential for us to understand what this promise is of the Holy Spirit. This is, you know, we, we look at this and we go, well, I haven't done any um, special revelation prophesying, which is very good. Because <laughs> again, that's the extraordinary element. But the things that we talked about, that we understand about the Holy Spirit, those things are rooted in the Scripture. And we need to remind each other of the benefits. That's one of the things that I, I get all the time at work, you know, is, you get this profit sharing thing where they, they match what you put in and, and they really push it. It's kind of like a religion there. Like, you really need to sign up for this share profit thing. It's like, it's just free money. Just do it. I'm like, well, we're tight. <laughs> it's like, even the money for a minute takes a moment, you know. But sometimes, you know, it's like they're, they're really pushing it. Well, we need to be that way about with one another in the benefits that we have. With the Holy Spirit. Do we think about the benefits? Do we dwell upon what richness we have that's been accomplished in the work of Jesus Christ and has been promised by Jesus Christ to us? And do we activate those benefits with prayer and consideration and hope and living into that? Well, let's read the manual about what Jesus said this benefit is. In John chapter 14, I'm just going to run through a couple different verses through here, but then it lands. If you want to spend some time and study and dwelling upon, if you want to go like I did for those you know, 40, 40 to 80 hours and just dwell upon those benefits, those are really, it's really good to read John 14 through John 16 and make that note and go back and read. I'm going to just quickly go through it real quick. It says in John 14, verse 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you until you're fired, till things are rough, or until you sin, or have a bad thought. What does it say? Forever, to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. This is not for everybody. This is one of the things that you have to be really careful of when you're declaring the work of Jesus Christ to people. And this is something I heard yesterday. And it's like, you know, they, 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 there were probably a lot of Christians there, but it's kind of funny. They're trying to get people to convert 
but they're also speaking to them like they already have the benefits. And you, and you can't have it both ways. <laughs> you know, you don't already have the benefits. They can say, this, are the, these are the benefits. Now repent and believe, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is not for the world to receive, it says. But it, because the world does not neither see nor know of him. You know of him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Now, this is interesting. I was like, wait a minute. Now, we're in Acts, and Acts is the fulfillment of the Holy Spirit. How is he saying that he's already in it? Well, we already know in the Old Testament the Spirit has been present since the very beginning of creation. But it's the measure of the Spirit and the application of the Spirit that increases to this explosive nature from the gospel what Christ accomplishes on the cross and resurrection and his reign and what he has done in the book of Acts. We're now in the full benefit package. That for even the disciples there who were listening, they had the Spirit with them, dwelling in them, but nothing like what they were going to see occur from Pentecost and on. And we're in that phase. Verse 25 of chapter 14. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Now we need to, we need to break it down a little bit. We have this word helper, the word paraclete, being mentioned to us again, and that he is teaching us. He is teaching us something. Well, he's teaching us and bringing to our remembrance things that he has said to us. Now that's a very necessary understanding that we need to have. That whatever the Spirit is saying will always parallel, either directly or in at least essence, what is in his word. It will never contradict what is in his word. And so we can't have, we're not going to have some kind of thing where we're, we're, it's going to be something that's different than what we can see in his word. That the word doesn't go away and we just kind of just wait for some kind of internal movement. There should be this parallel going on. So, Marus, you mentioned the word paraclete. Do you know what the word paraclete? Did you break it down? I think it sounded like you were doing your homework. <laughs> what does the word paraclete mean? Helper, but it's actually someone who comes alongside to help. Right. The word para means alongside, to be beside. And that's awesome. I am so glad that we break down that particular word. You know, it's like a lot of people are like, well, you know, to worry about the Greek or getting all the kinds of no no this is we want this word the word para means he's coming over and he's beside us he's standing beside us in this the word the cleat the clean I'm not going to pronounce it right but it means to call to reflect to stay you have what you're having here you're having a you're having one who's encouraging in saying things calling out to him but also advocating in, in fighting at the same time. Now that's a really cool thing. I think that's an extremely cool thing to think that this is God being beside us, reminding us, and fighting for us. Now Jesus is in the heavens declaring and doing that very work, but it's being applicable to us by the Holy Spirit. So this amazing thing that Jesus is doing at the right hand of God, before God, the Father, 
and saying, this is what I have done, reminding the Father what he has accomplished on the cross and reminding Satan and all of the, the hosts, and you know, we could talk forever about what all that means, like where the angels and the different authorities and all kinds of things are going, and being proclaimed to everything that's out there, good and bad, that Jesus has accomplished this, and then he, he brings that and he funnels that down to us in the Holy Spirit in a very personal way, that to all who repent and believe and are baptized get this benefit, that we have this in us, indwelling in us, reminding us what's in the Word of God about this great reality. I love the word para, that he's right there, calling us, calling out to others, telling the demons, this one has the benefit package. You can't have this one. Now, God may allow and use and test this one, but during that time, he doesn't say, I'll be right back. Because he says, Jesus promised in the benefit package that he will be with us forever. Fast forward in John 15, verse 26, it says, but when the helper comes whom I will send to you from the... Oh, I skipped 27. Oh, my goodness. We go back to 1427. Now, it's interesting because I, I, as I was studying, I came across a debate online about whether Jesus ever says that he sends, he's going to send us a comforter. Because most of us can recall that we parallel that word help, helper with comforter. But it doesn't mean comforter. But here in verse 27, we understand why people make that conclusion. That he is the helper, the paraclete, and the comforter. Because 27 of verse 14 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. So not only this reconciliation and this declaration of who we are, but a part of that application, the reason why this helper also has with it that name comforter, is because of verse 27 and also some other verses in 2 Corinthians also. But peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives that I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There's two things to learn from that and we need to remember, and I don't want to spend too much time on every little aspect of the whole Holy Spirit, but that... That one, that we're going to have this peace, this peace that Jesus accomplished, and there is no greater peace, but that it should not be confused and counterfeited with the peace of the world, which is fleeting and often deceptive and for personal purposes. There are things out there that's even being proclaimed in Jesus' name that is being counterfeited to give us some kind of temporal peace. We, a relative of this new uh, family member we have, we were talking with her, and she said, some people go to church for God, and some people go to church just for themselves. And I thought that was a very interesting thing, that some come out of to worship God, and then some come to worship themselves. And it's an easy thing in modern evangelicalism. We package it many ways. And the peace that comes is very fleeting and temporal because it's for them personally, temporarily, to really actually feed earthly desires. 
What Jesus gives us is not that counterfeit. It's bigger and beyond that in greater comfort that will fight the demons when the demons come. That's why it's so easy for us to fold. It's so why it's so easy for me to fold. I've had a lot of trials and tests thrown around me and my family in the last few months. And I'm looking at where we are right now. And I just look in the last three months and I'm like, man, I folded so quickly. It didn't take much. You take away some of those earthly comforts, and I was like, God, you don't, you're not making any sense to me about anything. You know, just complete declarations. Like, it's all for naught. I've wasted all of my time trusting you. Yes, that's in the last three months I had that kind of attitude. And then I look now like, all of those things that I thought was the end of the world are now making a little bit more sense. And now I'm feeling really stupid. Because <laughs> I was looking for that earthly peace, not the peace that passes understanding. Verse 26 of chapter 15, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, dwell on that, that the Spirit's going to be focused on truth, whose and proceeds from the Father, will bear witness about Jesus. It will be highlighting Jesus. Not highlighting about how I had the best of my life and how to have all of my dreams come true and all of the things fulfilled in me, but how everything has been fulfilled in Him. And you will bear witness. So the, ref- the reflective element of that is that when this occurs, when the Spirit is being fruitful in our lives, we will do the things that are the ordinary element of the extraordinary element of what these disciples were doing. These disciples were prophesying with tongues, showing the sign and the fulfillment of what's going on. We, too, should be prophesying by declaring His Word that has been established and given to us. We should be teaching others and encouraging others, bearing witness about the name of Jesus Christ. And then Jesus says, I have said these things to you to keep you from falling away. They will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. I'm sure Paul thought about that passage a lot. It's like, I was there and now I'm here. I was the one pushing people out and killing people, and now I am being killed all day long for your name's sake. But I've said these things to you that when the hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask where I'm going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin. If you have seasons in your life where you're talking a lot about the Holy Spirit guiding you into this and that and this or that or if you have other people who think or you think are brothers and sisters and they don't, you don't ever see any fruit of conviction of sin you might want to evaluate 
whether where they're being drawn or whether you're being drawn by something other than the Spirit. Because it says here by the benefit package, which is a very good thing, may not sound like a good thing in some sense, but you are going to be reminded initially about your own sin. Because you're going to be reminded about the righteousness and the strength of God. And for you to have that righteousness and strength of God, you must understand your weakness and your unrighteousness. And it says, concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they did not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father, you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged, I have said many things to you. To, I have, I have, still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare to you all that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Now, that might just seem like a chronological kind of statement at the end like you know you can't handle this, you'll get the stuff, you'll get the, you know you'll hear more details about this later. But it teaches us about the nature of God and and how we are and how he is. Even though he's, put, he's pointing to this particular time in this passage in Acts today, that he is telling us that you can't bear it. Now, can, I mean, can you imagine? It's like Jesus is here right now. Like, well, you're here, Jesus. Just tell it like it is. <laughs> just, just lay it out. But he knows that we cannot. And he's saying, in fact, I'm going to leave. I've got to, I've got to leave and you will benefit, it says, you'll be better off. I know I've preached about this before. I just, this is just the, one of the most amazing things in the passage of all Scripture, that Jesus leaving is a benefit because of the Spirit. That highlights the potency of what that benefit is. And he understands in us, he understands our frame. You can't handle this right now. So what does that mean when we think about ourselves and when we think about others, other brothers and sisters, or when we're struggling, where a lot of times Satan comes up beside us and say, man, you've been a Christian a long time. You sure you're a Christian? You're not getting this. Other people seem to be getting this. But you're not getting this. Maybe you're not in the benefit package after all. But the Bible says that Jesus, even being there right then and there, like, you can't handle this right now. It's not, it's not timely, but it's not, it's not just saying it's not the right time. It says you cannot bear them right now. It means you, that our condition is not capable of receiving the fullness of that revelation. That it is a process of growth in the Spirit. So we should anticipate that, you know, when we look at this particular passage, it's really tempting to go, wow! They were prophesying and they were in tongues and like, bam, they were, like, they were right there. But no, Jesus is saying it's going to be a, a, a process. That was for an extraordinary purpose, but our normative life in the church is a growth process. And so we shouldn't be so harsh to judge ourselves, and we should first come to that conviction of, of our weakness, which should be by the power of the Holy Spirit, in accordance to his word. 
but also that He is continuing to be beside us and guide us and teach us. That's why we're called disciples. It doesn't say, go and therefore make many masters. It says to go and therefore and make disciples. It means they're going to be students. It means they're going to be learning. It means that it's, amazingly enough, it's okay, and I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, I'm trying to trust the Word of God here, it's okay that I folded a few months ago and continually after that. That I'm learning something. It wouldn't have made any sense to me if he would have revealed it all to me right then. I'd be like, what? <laughs> you know, but now, oh, I get it. I see it, I think. Getting there. And it's his process. And it's a beautiful process. And I love how he ends the benefit package details in that particular passage with, you're not going to understand what he just said. <laughs> but I'm sending you someone to come along beside you, to call out to you, a paraclete, to teach you and to guide you. So when we get to Corinthians, excuse me, Galatians, we can understand when we read about the fruit of the Spirit, we look at the context of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5, which I'll encourage you to go read later instead of me quoting through it right now. When we see this comparison and contrast of the fruit of death versus the fruit of life in the Spirit, and we see the tone that Paul has with those in Galatia. He's encouraging them to look for those fruits. He didn't say, do you have it? You don't? You're out. We should be praying for it. We should be longing for it. We should be hoping in it. And with boldness, we can pray to God. You've told us throughout his word that this is my benefit package. You must manifest these things in me. Right now, in this moment, whatever difficulty I'm facing, I don't see any of it. But by the power of the Holy Spirit, He's reminding me that I will, in time, in your good time, be strengthened in the faith and bear these particular fruits. Brother and sister, don't give up. Look for those fruits. Demand them. Now, of course, if you're not one who's repented or believed, and if you're not one who has been baptized, then go back to Acts chapter 2. Because this is for you and for your household. For all those the Lord has called. Let us pray.